Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday, March the 3rd. And thank you so much for tuning in here with me today. If you have any burning questions or a subject you'd maybe like me to talk more about or you just want to say hi, please don't hesitate to email me at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. I got a good show lined up here today. To kick off the back half of the show, it's time to talk about money and how we here in British Columbia are spending it. A recent survey found that some of the costly money mistakes British Columbians are making that could be contributing to the mounting consumer debt challenges across the province. From making only minimum payments to borrowing money you can't afford to pay back, the survey found that 51% of British Columbians admit to engaging in what debt experts consider risky financial behaviors over the past year, looking back, of course, at 2019. So that includes things like, as mentioned, paying only the minimum amount required or borrowing beyond what can afford to pay back. Those things can end up trapping people in an endless cycle of debt that can be nearly impossible to free yourself from. Paying only the minimum balance on debts was the most common risky behavior among British Columbians last year. One in five said they made only the minimum balance on their credit card. MNP insolvency trustee Dean Prentice explains that that is a major sign to pay attention to. If you're only making those minimum payments, it may be time to explore your finances a little bit deeper and find out just how big of a hole you might be finding yourself in. Number one reason is not paying off your credit card or lines of credit every month. Uh, and the second most serious reason is that people get lured in by special deals or special offers. It looks good when they see the price or the reduction, but uh, most people, when they make that purchase, they're not paying it off at the end of the month. So that deal is not really turning out to be such a deal when they add the interest on. It got them into buying a purchase that perhaps they weren't going to, to make or they've made an impulse purchase. Uh, now, that's actually a little bit higher for people who are in the 18 to 34 age group. So younger people tend to be lured more in by the special deals or if, they, if you have children. So there's a, it's an interesting uh, little subgroup there of people who are actually taken in by the deals more. So there's a little snapshot of my chat with Mr. Prentice, and Dean is going to be joining me at around the 35-minute mark of this hour to talk about those risky financial behaviors that we are seeing in British Columbians, why it is concerning, and what one can do to start climbing out of that financial hole that many may have dug themselves into. At the end of the show, I'm going to be joined by the CAO of the Village of Chase. On Friday, the province announced that it had approved a $60 million forest tenure transfer of cutting rights in the North Thompson from Canfor to Interfor. Canfor offered to sell its cutting rights after it shut down its mill in Vavenby last summer, and local governments had been waiting since the fall for a decision from the Forest Ministry. The government says forestry workers, contractors, and First Nations in and around Clearwater, Vavenby, and Adams Lake will all benefit with this forest tenure transfer. Parliamentary Secretary for Forestry Ravi Kalon thinks the forest tenure transfer of no, or sorry forest tenure transfer north of Kamloops does strike a good balance for those communities that have been affected. 
obviously there's a benefit for the Adam Lake uh, sawmill because they'll see more uh, fiber security and then the spin-off, right? Domtar and, and the other operations will continue to see a little bit more security and fiber as well. So it's good for the region. Uh, and, uh, and again, I'm happy to see the decision is done and people can get to work. And Clearwater Mayor Merlin Blackwell says that this was a huge announcement for his community and one that people had been waiting quite some time to hear. There has definitely been a struggle here. You know, our food bank was up 49% usage for January. We're really worried about that. It was sort of an, an initial indicator. A lot of people in this town that have trucks and have logging contracting businesses have left town to go work elsewhere temporarily. Um, you know, a logging truck, you know, six or $8,000 a month payment if you own three or four of them. When you watch your bank account start to drain out um, because you're not working, that's a huge concern. So the longer this went on, the more stress that they've uh, become. But now that we've had this, uh, you know, announcement made, it, people can start breathing and go, okay, I'm going to go back to work. I can hold on. And, uh, you know, they've been holding on for an awful long time. So this is good news for them. Yeah, so the people of Clearwater are clearly breathing a little bit easier as a result. But what about those in Chase? I mean, with Interforce Adams Lake Mill actually within the village of Chase boundaries, it does receive taxation dollars from them on an annual basis. So this should be good news for the town. I will be joined, like I said, by the CAO, Joni Heinrich, at around the 50-minute mark to see how people are feeling there and what it means when it comes to things like community planning now that there is a little more surety in the future of the town's economy. And coming up next, I'm set to be joined by the president of the Kamloops and District Real Estate Association after a new monthly record was set for the average price of a single-family home in Kamloops. Wendy Runji, she says that there are more home sales at higher price points, which are leading to new records that we saw here just last month. That record sitting at $530,300. The spring market seems to have hit us. So the median price was down just a little bit, 495 and last month it was 513 for the median. But the big story really is the single uh, family average home price was selling for around 530000 So that's quite a big increase from last uh, February, about 14%. And Ranji says that the more homes sold at higher price points as well. We saw 45 homes sell in the 400 to 500 range and 20 in the 600 to 700 point. If I look back at even January, you know, that 400 to 500, we saw 27 last month as compared to 45 in February. So, you know, that's quite a big change. Yeah, so like you said, single-family home prices are the big story for the past month, but the average home selling for $530,300, which was an increase of 14% from the $460,000 figure last February, in February 2019. So quite a big jump year over year, $70,000. That's a pretty significant increase, if you ask me. And we'll be getting into these numbers a little bit deeper here when Wendy Runjami joins me in the next uh, segment here. Also, sales in February were led by South Kamloops with 22 sales, Pineview Valley with 18, and North Kamloops with 17. So there's a little preview of just sort of what is coming up, talking about where homes are being sold, how much they are being sold for, and just what exactly is driving this market. Well, Wendy Ranji is going to be joining me after the break to get into things here, uh, get a little more detail into these numbers and just what exactly they mean for those who are looking to break into the housing market here in Kamloops. Looking at those numbers, it seems like it might be pretty difficult for any new home buyers to enter the market. We'll also ask a little bit about that and just sort of, um, you know, what is affordable for those who are looking to just start out in the real estate business in terms of buying their own home, moving into their home, own home and, and owning some property here in the city. So 
Wendy will be joining me in studio next to talk more about those market trends, what things looked like here specifically last month, and what it means as we head towards those spring and summer months. So please stay tuned. i got some great stuff coming up after this short break. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show and thanks so much for tuning in. A survey conducted by Ipsos on behalf of MMP was helping to identify some of the costly money mistakes that British Columbians are making, ones that could be contributing to the mounting consumer debt challenges across the province. Those include things from making only minimum payments to borrowing money you can't afford to pay back. And the survey found that 51% of British Columbians are admitting to engaging in what debt experts consider risky financial behaviors over the past 12 months. I'm joined now by Licensed Insolvency Trustee with MNP here in Kamloops. It's Dean Prentice. Dean, thanks so much for taking the time. Happy to, Jeff. Good to talk to you. Yeah, so it's been a few months since we last spoke on the subject of insolvencies and what's happening here in British Columbia. Uh, it continues to be an issue in the province and it does not seem to be getting any better. Um, now more than half the population are admitting to making risky financial decisions. Um, so just from an overall standpoint, I mean, just what are we looking at? Things seem to be getting worse. Is that is that true? Well, it, in some ways, they are continuing to get worse in that the uh, bankruptcy and proposal insolvency rate has continued to rise. In another part of the sense, though, things are actually good uh, in BC in general. Uh, we're some of the most optimistic people as far as being debt-free compared to the rest of the country. So although pockets of the province have higher uh, insolvency rates and greater stresses, in general, BC residents of BC are feeling optimistic about their ability to pay off their debt. Yeah, and, and uh, you know this report that I've been reading here, it talks about uh, about 32% of British Columbians uh, are fortunate enough to say they are currently living without debt obligations. So that's pretty great for 32% of the population, but that leaves, of course, 68% of people, um, you know, reeling or, or dealing with some sort of financial issues within their household. I mean, um, you know, when we're talking 68%, obviously a lot of those are not in necessarily uh, crunt or, or debt that is insurmountable, but do have debt challenges. Is that uh, an approach? appropriate figure? I mean, what, what do you think, I guess, should be normal for, for people who are dealing with debt? Is one in three to be out of debt? Is that is that a good figure? It, well, partly it depends on the population. Uh, when you look at the statistics, it depends on how old people are, or whether they're debt-free. Um, it depends on if they have children. So people who have children tend to have higher debt levels. And I think that's that's fairly obvious because they have a lot more commitments to uh, helping raise their children. Uh, a lot of seniors and uh, people who are over 55, they have less debt because they've gotten to the point where perhaps they've paid off their mortgage now and they don't have children in the house. But it's that the gap there of the, um, the baby boomers and the Gen X, they're the ones who are most worried that they'll never be debt-free. In fact, if you're in that age group, 20% of Gen Xers and baby boomers feel they will never be debt-free. So that's a, that's quite a concern to have that many people who don't think they will ever get their debt paid off. Well, I think that 
figure when, when saying that, it really bothers me when talking about boomers because these are people, you know, who are, you know, in their late 50s, 60s, 70s, and, and you know, that debt is, is not going to go away with them in, in a lot of cases. And so that's got to be a real concern to, um, you know, the younger population who might be end up being straddled with, with, those, with those, those debts from those boomers. Unfortunately, your children, they won't uh, be responsible for your debt. If something should happen, they didn't, no one else will have to pay it off. But I think for a lot of people, they may wind up supporting their, their parents, who are now starting to wind down their working years. And for others, they were getting, say, 50, uh, 50 years or, of age or older, and they've suddenly lost their job. Their plan was to be free by the time they retired, and now that's not happening because of their employment situation. And that's where the younger generation are going to have to step in to support their family. They may not be taking on debt, but they're going to be struggling and, um, to, let's say, have the same lifestyle or be able to afford things for their own children that they thought they'd be able to, and they may not. Now, what are some of the more common practices, I guess, that, you know, if, if you're doing these certain things, that it's a, it's a sign that you're going into some debt problems? Is there anything in particular that, uh, you know, people should be looking out for when, uh, I know, like, one example would be making uh, just, just the minimum payment on your credit card. If you're only making your minimum payment, then chances are you're, you're probably struggling with some sort of uh, financial issues within your household. Are there other signs that you can pinpoint or look to where you can say, if you are doing this, it might be time to look at your financial picture on a bit of a bigger scale? Sure. As you said, the number one reason is not paying off your credit card or lines of credit every month. The other major reasons, and the second most serious reason, is that people get lured in by special deals or special offers. It looks good when they see the price or the reduction, but uh, most people, when they make that purchase, they're not paying it off at the end of the month. So that deal is not really turning out to be such a deal when they add the interest on. It got them into buying a purchase that perhaps they weren't going to, to make or they've made an impulse purchase. Uh, now, that's actually um, a little bit higher for people who are in the 18 to 34 age group. So younger people tend to be lured more in by the special deals or if, they, if you have children. So there's a it's an interesting uh, little subgroup there of people who are actually taken in by the deals more. But the other three main reasons are um, trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they say. Buying things because friends or family have purchased them, and you convince yourself that you need it or you want it. And I think probably buying it out of want is more common. And then also making a major purchase on credit without paying it off. So when you're making a major purchase, it's usually something that you can plan for and start saving for before you buy it. But a major uh, concern is that people will s- decide very quickly that they need something that they're not going to be able to afford to pay off at the end of the month, and they put it on credit. Again, those deals or that purchase winds up costing a lot more money than they actually thought. In fact, if for people who don't pay their credit off at the end of every month, people uh, figure it takes about six years and eight months to actually get their debts paid off. So when you look at the interest you're paying on that impulse purchase, it's not a deal at all. 
Yeah, and one of the other things I'm seeing here, too, and, and you mentioned special deals, uh, 8% of, of British Columbians are saying they bought something on credit that requires no payments for a while. So one of those, you know, uh, no payments for 24 months kind of deals, I mean, those those can sound really intriguing and say, I can I can deal with it in two years, and two years I'll have a little bit more money, hopefully in the bank, and then it won't be a problem, but then two years eventually comes along, and that's no longer the situation you find yourself in, or you didn't properly plan to deal with that kind of a financial situation. So... Um, definitely something for a lot of people to be wary of. If you can't afford it now, you might not be able to afford it later. So make sure you think about that before you buy something. I guess, you know, we, we I ask you this question every time I've had you on so far, but you know, when, when people are going through their finances on a monthly basis and looking at what they have coming up for payments and if they are having issues or, or, or are working towards seeing that issues might be coming up here in the not too distant future, what, what should they be doing? Who should they be calling? I mean, you don't want to find yourself into deep of a situation, but that happens clearly to a lot of people where you realize when it's too late that, hey, maybe I'm in deeper debt than I thought and now I can't climb out. Where, where do you turn? What do you do? Well, I think the first thing to do is to do a little assessment, and I, I like to call it the three-month rule. If you set some goals to say, in three months, I will have paid my debt down by this much. You set a target to go, how do I need to adjust my budget? What do I need to change in my spending so that I can achieve that goal? And then track your spending and your debt levels for three months. If you didn't reach that goal, it's quite interesting to look at why you weren't able to reach it. And to be honest, if you weren't able to reach that goal, you're probably going to have problems paying off your debt. And if that's the situation, the best thing to do is to come to a a professional, a licensed insolvency trustee, because we're the ones who can help you get the proper advice and actually help you get out of debt. People sometimes get lured in by a debt consultant who actually aren't able to help you with the debt. They often just charge a fee before introducing you to a, a trustee. So it's best just to call a trustee, a licensed insolvency trustee like MMP Debt, first off, to have a free consultation, and then you can find out what it would actually cost you to pay off your debt on your own, or if you wanted to try and make a, uh, a proposal to your creditors to pay off perhaps only a portion. And interestingly, that's what most people do is they they don't go bankrupt they actually uh, make arrangements to pay off as much as they can afford and creditors agree to write off the rest now a proposal can only be made through a licensed insolvency trustee and that's why it's best just to call a trustee directly definitely a lot to keep in mind i always appreciate you coming on and taking the time time dean i uh, always appreciate talking to you i think it's important information and definitely some some things for people here in british columbia and here in kamloops to keep in mind so thanks so much for coming on um and, and have a great rest of your day Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Awesome. That was a licensed insolvency trustee with MNP here in Kamloops, Dean Prentice. Yeah, so clearly I had to make a little bit of a, a last-minute adjustment here to the programming. If you've been listening the whole time, Wendy Rungy was scheduled to join me at around 9.20. Unfortunately, there was a bit of a mix-up, and uh, she's going to be in next. So uh, if you want to hear more about home prices, well, don't go anywhere, because that's going to be coming up in just a few short minutes. So we're going to take a quick little break here, and then we're going to be talking about just what home prices are looking like here in Kamloops with the president of the Kamloops and District Real Estate Association, Wendy Rungy. So please stay tuned. we got more Jeff Andrea show coming up right after the break. So please, stick around. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. 
Welcome back to the show here on Tuesday. As mentioned here earlier in the show, a new monthly record was set for the mean price of a single-family home in Kamloops. And Wendy Runge joins me now in studio. Wendy, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Yeah, okay. So let's just talk about this new mean home price. The new average home price, $530,000. It seems like a pretty high number, and it just continues to rise, these average home prices. Uh, what, what is driving that right now here in Kamloops? Well, that number in particular was driven last month by quite a few sales in those higher price categories. So we saw quite a few in the four to five, and then uh, quite a few more even in the six to seven. So that really rose that. And that's the average price for a single family home. Um, the average price overall didn't rise too, too much, but that single family priced home, you know, is definitely seems to be on the move up. And the median home price rate was 455. So comparing that to the average, it's like almost a $75,000 difference. So pretty significant. So there, there clearly is quite a few homes being sold. Like you had mentioned, they're in that upper yeah. upper range. Um, you know, are we seeing homes getting closer to that million dollar range? Is there a lot more of those on the market these days? Yeah, it seems to be the, you know, the new norm is for the single family house to be looking at, you know, in that five, six, seven hundred thousand. Doesn't seem that unusual as it did a few years ago when we were looking. I always would tell people when they came to Camelot, oh, our average, you know, is around that four to five, but that has definitely creeped up, especially if you're looking at the newer homes or the downtown homes, which are the areas that really sold well this last month. Yeah, so I was going to ask about that as well when talking about areas where you saw more home sales, downtown being the more popular area. Is that just a result of, um, you know, what's on the market right now? Or, you know, is that where more people are wanting to move? Sort of what, what is that that's, you know, leading to more people going downtown? I think a little combination of both, for sure. Uh, people still do want to, especially younger first-time home buyers, are wanting to come back to the center of Camelot. We're seeing a lot of redevelopment happen happening in Kamloops in the center. So I think people are wanting that walkability. They want to be able to walk to the farmer's market and to work and such. So yeah, it always is a big driving, but there must have been a few more extra homes in those areas because it did really outperform even Aberdeen or Sahali, which we normally see as our top sellers. Um, and when looking at just what is on the market, um, you know, quite, quite a few more homes sold here this month when just looking back to January or even February of last year. Um, again, is that, um, you know, more more stuff on the market or more people just looking to move in February that we had a fairly mild February, I guess, as well. I mean, what, what are some of the, do you know what factors could be leading to, you know, this February being a particularly good one? At least that's what I'm looking yeah, at and seeing. For sure. I think, yeah, weather does play a little bit of a factor. Plus there was a few more things. We did see our inventory rise just a slight bit. So that really helped. I mean, from January to February, we saw a huge increase in, in inventory, which isn't unusual to see. January isn't a big month to be listing your house. But if we look at February compared to February 2019, there was an increase of about 2% of the inventory. So that's encouraging. Uh, we need that. We are still really low on our inventory and what's available to buy. So as that rises, we're going to see the number of sales rising as well. And I'm hoping, just from a, a home buyer's perspective, that that might also drive the price down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. If we see that inventory get up there, it's going to help create a little bit more, a better of a balanced market. We've definitely seen a little heavy on the seller side since there's uh, so little to pick from. So sellers are able to uh, ask a little bit more and we're seeing multiple offers, which drives the prices up. So hopefully this season, spring, will bring us a little bit more of a balanced market. It'll be good for everybody. What What does this trend look like now moving forward? I mean, you're looking at, you know, January a bit slower, February picking up. And, you know, is this 
when things start to really ramp up, now that we're into March and the weather starts to get even better and more people, I'm sure, are looking to move come the spring and summer months. So yeah. uh, are you expecting to see a lot more business here in Kamloops over the next little while? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Spring is a really great time to buy and sell. So we definitely look forward to this time of year for uh, the business. And uh, we can that can go all the way through right till about summer. And then sometimes we have a little bit of a lull. And, but we have a good fall market too. So Kamloops is really great that way. We have lots of good opportunity, good weather to get out there and buy homes. Is Kamloops, and I don't know if you can even answer this off the spot here, but, uh, you know, when just looking at some of the other places around here, does Kamloops seem to have anything that's drawing people here as opposed to places like, you know, a Kelowna? I know they have that uh, the, the tax that's an issue mm-hmm. there as well. Um, you know, just is there something about Kamloops that makes people look here uh, first or, or sure. think about here when they're maybe just looking to move into the general interior area? Yeah, I think everyone has seen lots of things going around right now. Just even advertising Kamloops is such a good option. And I think we've been overlooked for a while as, you know, somewhere you pass through. And Kamloops, once you get into Kamloops, you realize all the good things we have to offer. So affordability is one of the big things, I think, still, uh, compared to Kelowna and especially Vancouver. Kamloops is still very affordable to be able to get into the market. And, you know, just the lifestyle here. People love living in Kamloops. There's so many things to do, so many places to go, recreation, things like that. Um, When comparing us to a place like Vancouver, is that, you know, do you see people who are thinking about just like moving to BC and then Vancouver might be an option for them, but then they think about Kamloops? I'm just curious because like that doesn't seem, you know, four-hour drive is not... Uh, necessarily all that close so it's not like you can commute to here to to Vancouver but you know what what I guess would people be looking at that might can uh, drive them towards Kamloops as opposed to somewhere like Vancouver where you know prices are obviously crazy in Vancouver. Yeah number one is affordability but you'd be surprised how many people I run into and talk to who are working differently these days so they work remote or they go in one week and they come out one week so we do have seen especially young couples who are Uh, rearranging their life to have a little bit more free time, family time. And so they are working differently. And I think that just the way things have changed with technology, it's allowed them, the four-hour commute really isn't that long. Interesting. Yeah, I just, I guess I think back to like, you know, my parents and, you know, I, I grew up near Toronto and my we lived about an hour away and yeah. the hour-long commute to Toronto seemed like forever for him because he was in there every day. Yeah. But I guess if you only have to go down to Vancouver once every couple of weeks or yeah, once a month or something. It work differently. It's crazy. That's yeah. crazy the way the world is changing. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask too about, you know, new new people trying to enter the housing market because mm-hmm. we're seeing the prices continue to go up. The median price, 455 The average price, 530 Probably not uh, a very nice number for someone who's just looking to enter the market as a first-time home buyer, as, as someone who's maybe new to the workforce yeah. and they're looking to break in. Is that something that is an issue here in Kamloops or are these numbers maybe just a little bit deceiving because there are more price housing houses on the higher end? Yeah, I think there's still, we're not really talking about the townhouse and condos and there's a lot available and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of new stuff coming onto the market that is in that lower price point, which would be a good first step. And, and those are not, you know, totally unaffordable. And I think that uh, people for a little while there were skipping that step. But I think we're going to see more of the townhouse and condos being a good option for the first time home buyer and say they live there for three or four years and then they move up. Uh, about five years ago, people were just skipping that altogether because it was so affordable. Um, I think we're going to see those be in a little bit higher demand as the prices of the single family home go up people are going to be turning towards a condo and townhouse again as a good option for a first step. And I know uh, it was a big conversation point, uh, you know, towards the tail end of fall last year was the first time homebuyer tax credit. 
um, and, and it was sort of being figured out how exactly it was working at that point in time. Has that, you know, sort of been figured out? Do you think more people might be taking advantage of that moving forward? I have not heard of a lot of people taking advantage of it. And I know, I mean, I've talked to my mortgage broker about it and he's kind of on the fence about the pros and cons of it. So it's definitely something you want to discuss if you're a first time home buyer. I'd say get in touch with your mortgage broker and say, is this something that's really realistic for us? Is it make sense? Because it has short-term uh, benefits for some long-term maybe consequences. So mm -hmm. you need to just look at all the way it pros and cons right. to it for sure. It's not something that every first time yeah, home buyer wants to everybody. jump into. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I think that's about all I have for you for questions right awesome. now, Wendy. Anything else you want to throw on the table here moving forward? What are you looking forward to here in March? Uh, we are looking forward to a great spring market. And again, I always like to tell people, even though the market is really great, get in touch with a local realtor who's licensed, who knows the industry, knows the market, and can really help you navigate this spring market. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Great. Always appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Awesome. That was the uh, president of the Kamloops and District Real Estate Association, Wendy Runge. Coming up next, people in uh, Chase might be feeling a little bit better now that those cutting rights are being approved from Interfort to Canfor. And what does that mean exactly for the Adams Lake Mill? Well, I'll be speaking with the CAO of the Village of Chase after this. So please stick around. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday, March the 3rd, 0303. Thanks so much for tuning in here today. Uh, having a, a bit of a rough one here today. I've been uh, had to change things up here in my... 920 segment had to move the 920 to the 935 and vice versa and now my 950 is just not uh, not answering here so i had to change things around but thankfully we got our lovely john Keane here to uh, help uh, break things down here on 950 that's two days in a row john yeah yeah i'm always in the bullpen uh throwing fastballs ready for that tap i don't know if, when it's going to come but when i see the manager walk out and and point to the righty uh then i just start to trot onto the mound there so. <laughs> well uh what do we got going on here today i know uh, curling's been the big one right now of course Jim Cotter taking, uh, who, who was he playing here earlier today? Well, uh, Cotter was taking on New Brunswick, and uh, it was really a must-win in this round-robin format. You can't afford to lose four in the round-robin here. Uh, went back and forth. Really, it started bad off the hop when he gave up a steal of two in the first end, Jeff, and then uh, from there they traded singles, and then there were some blank ends, and, and he went down to ten without hammer and down a, a down a shot, and uh, New Brunswick pulled out the 6-3 win. So that's one in four now uh, now, Jeff, and and that's probably not enough to get it uh, to get it done to the playoffs. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I think it all kind of started as he had a bit of a rough go yesterday morning. Yes, I mean, yes. man, he had that game in control, and then all of a sudden that uh, that last stone. Well, I guess the last few ends really, but he still should have had it coming down the tenth end. You mean you're up three going into the oh. tenth? You should almost be considering shaking hands at that moment, and then ends up giving up four. Wow. And he had a chance at a double takeout and went right through them and missed with his first uh, skip stone. And then he came up light on his second shot. So he had a, a lot of things working against him. But all, also, Matt Dunstone, let, let's remember Matt Dunstone's got the countless ties. He lives here uh, with girlfriend Aaron Pincott, who's on that Team Brown rank. And uh, and he had to make a pretty good shot, too, to, to count four. And uh, he was able to do that. Uh, Matt Dunstone pulled it out with what I think is the shot of the tournament. And as you mentioned it, that really sprung Matt Dunstone ahead, gave him momentum, but it also put 
Jim Cotter in the other way. He lost again yesterday and then lost again this morning. So while Dunstone has won, uh, he's 3-1 and one heading into an 11 a.m. game here today. Right on, John. Well, it looks like, uh, oh, nope, I just dropped her. Never mind. I was going to say, I think I have my guy on the line now, but that uh, seems to no longer be the case. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you mentioned uh, losing four. Pretty much an impossible way to come back yeah. from at this stage of the game. Yeah. I know, um, you know, Corinne Brown had a real good run there earlier, um, but it looks like her uh, BC counterpart on the men's side is just not going to be able to at least make the playoffs as uh, Corinne did. Yeah, so I guess we'll have to throw our support around uh, Matt Dunstone because uh, we're excited about him. He's uh, he's a good guy and lives here now, and uh, he has Saskatchewan rolling, and, and quite the celebration he had when he made that hit for four uh, yesterday, and they seem like a personable group. They seem like a fun group of guys, so that Saskatchewan rink has that, that Kamloops element to it, and we may have to rally around them the rest of the way. Right on, John. Well, uh, thanks so much. I'm going to get Joni Heinrich here on the phone now. So uh, thanks so much for stepping in, and uh, we'll, we'll okay. catch up with you again later in the week. Say hi to Jody for me. Okay? I will. All right. I'm joined now by the CAO of the Village of Chase, Joni Heinrich. Joni, how are you doing here? Good, thank you. Yeah, okay, so we were going to be talking here about, uh, you know, the cutting rights and what's going on here. So on Friday, the province announced that it had approved a $60 million forest tenure transfer of cutting rights in the North Thompson from Can 4 to Inner 4. We had talked about this back in December, I believe it was, right around Christmas time, that, you know, you were hoping to see an announcement come down on this sometime early in 2020. The announcement comes down here just before the end of February. I mean, this has to be good news for the Village of Chase. Oh, this is definitely good news for the village of Chase uh, in, in in many ways. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the ways I would assume is because, you know, the Adams Lake Mill being uh, within those Chase boundaries, and they obviously pay taxes, I mean, that's got to be one of the, the most significant factors here for, for you, and particularly when talking about doing any kind of city planning. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, for 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 us to be able to access now, the, the, um, the, the province does set the rate for which um, for that taxation that we can collect from that mill, but definitely being a really small community with with not a huge um, tax base, that additional tax revenue is very 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 beneficial to our community. There's no doubt about it. I mean, is it hard to go into you know meetings when you are trying to do city planning and look at what you're going to be doing within within the town of Chase itself and and not knowing what the future of that tax base is? I mean that's got to be really challenging to really you know make any concrete decisions. It is a bit challenging, certainly for our for our staff and for our elected officials, particularly because um, you know. So we're, we're, we we rely on approximately around a fifty to sixty thousand dollar a year uh, revenue from that particular property, and uh, that is a huge amount of our our budget. So yes, we have to be very very selective if we're not sure that that money is going to be there over the next few years or the next ten years or whatever. We have to be very very selective and very careful about prioritizing the big ticket item projects that we're able to do. Um, and, and what does this mean for, you know, the people who are living in Chase? I mean, I'm sure there are not a, quite a few people who are, are being impacted by this decision, have been waiting for this decision to have been made, and are probably feeling a little bit better knowing that this, the province has moved forward with this deal. I mean, can you talk a little bit about just, you know, what your constituent or what the, the people of, of Chase, those who live there, you know, have been dealing with when it comes to this particular situation? Has it been a struggle for some? Well, um, I do believe it has been a struggle for some. We, we actually have um, between about 60 and 70 um, 
people who live in Chase that actually work at that mill. So that's a significant number of, of decent paying jobs for, for people who live in Chase. And I think from what I understand, there has been, you know, a lot of trepidation amongst some of the staff members, not just the ones that live in Chase, but employees that live in other, other communities in the region who work there, waiting to hear for this decision as to whether maybe their jobs may be secure into the future or not so secure or whatever. So um, it's it's very important to those individuals for sure so that they can continue to support their families. And it's very, very important to our community so that they can continue to thrive in our community and support the local businesses. Yeah. So, I mean, it really is a, a, a full circle when talking about it that way. I mean, um, not only you said 70 individuals, but obviously those individuals are supporting families. And then, uh, you know, those families in turn would go support local business by, by shopping and, and supporting the local economy in Chase. Um, so really, really a significant thing, not just for those who live or sorry, are working at the, uh, the, at the mill, but really the entire community as a whole is going to have a, a real big benefit from, from this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're very, you know, the, the employees are, are feeling more, you know, more um, secure in, in, in their future uh, employment. So they're probably going to be, you know, supporting our local businesses a bit more because they feel like, hey, we can do this. And, and yeah, it's all connected. There's definitely no doubt about it. And in addition to that, there's a number of contractors, so not necessarily direct employees, but there's a, a large number of contracted uh, staff that work for the for that mill too and so that picks up a large number of people in not just the chase area but in our region the north thompson area a lot of the contractors that were working previously at other mills that closed are now working uh for uh, interfor and they can be assured that there's going to be work for them into the future too so it's it's really good for the region as a whole right on well Joni, that's about all i have for questions for you right now just that it is obviously good news for a number of communities and and chase was uh, you know, just one of those as well that is clearly going to be a benefactor of this deal, ha- having uh, gone through the $60 million forest tenure transfer from uh, Can4 to Interfor. Very significant and uh, definitely uh, good news, like you said, for a number of communities and yours as well. So happy to hear that this is kind of, uh, you know, a good thing for you. Um, and, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and talk about what it means. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you as well. We're very, very pleased. Thank you. That was the uh, CAO for the Village of Chase, Joni Heinrich, talking about, you know, that that forest tenure transfer, a $60 million forest tenure transfer of cutting rights in the North Thompson from Canfor to Interfor, uh, significant for a number of communities, a number of companies, and a number of mills. So um, definitely good news here for our region. Um, Yeah, and as Joni was saying here too, I mean, uh, big news for not only those that are directly impacted, but those spin enough uh, consequences that come as a result of losing your job as well, not being able to um, support those local businesses. I remember I was talking um, earlier with uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, the uh, mayor from, the, from uh, the island there who was having a number of concerns about her community as there was a, a, a long strike, an eight-month strike that had been going on with, with forestry workers there. And, uh, you know, there were, was a number of concerns uh, just about what it meant for people in the community. There was a, a restaurant owner who says they weren't even selling food anymore. They were just doing coffee because it was too expensive to make food and throw away food that no 
one was going to be coming in and buying. So, um, yeah, things like that are a real reality when uh, big business goes down. So definitely happy to see that there is some positive news here in our region when it comes to those forest cutting rights. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow on Wednesday at 9.